With the NFL draft and the bulk of free agency behind us, the Seahawks roster is beginning to take shape. Today, we kick off a new series, wherein we take a position-by-position look at this team and what each tells us about the direction they're headed. Rob Staten, creator of Seahawks Draft Blog, starts us off with a breakdown of Seattle's running backs and linebackers. Let's light them up. I'm Jackson Bevins, and this is Cigar Thoughts. Welcome back to the Cigar Lounge. I am Jackson Bevins, and along with my dastardly producer, Mike Barwin, this is the Cigar Thoughts Podcast. Mike, how are we doing today? We're doing well, Jackson. Back in the booth, feeling magnetic, ready to speak some words at you. How are you doing? I'm into it, man. I'm ready to receive it. We are fully settled into 2022 mode now, aren't we? The draft picks are signed, most of the cap space has been spent, and barring anything major, we're starting to get a clearer picture of who the Seahawks are going to roll into the season with. Is that a good thing? Is that a good thing, Jackson? It's it's a thing. You know, I think it's sticking to the plan. It's not a bad plan. thing. I think it's, it's not, I think I it's not think a, bad it's a bad thing. thing. I, think I think we can arrive thing. at that. I'm, I'm, I'm generally in favor of how the offseason has gone so far. I mean, we've been talking for a long time about holding off on, on overdoing it for 2022, and I, I think they're laying a pretty good foundation but, you know, what do we know? Lucky for us, we're joined by one of the world's foremost Seahawks observers. And I say world's foremost because he is literally with us from halfway around the planet. He is the creator of the excellent Seahawks draft blog and one of the sharper minds following this team. He's also delightfully unafraid to have opinions, even if they run counter to mainstream thought. He is the inimitable Rob Staten. Rob, thank you so much for staying up for us. No, thank you. And uh, what a fantastic uh, introduction as well. I feel uh, very flattered by that. And um, it's nice to hear some some nice words. So thank you. <laughs> well, they are well-deserved, man. Uh, we are beginning this uh, first annual deep dive into each of Seattle's positional groups. We wanted to kick it off with you. But for those listening, we're going to do a weekly breakdown of the Seahawks roster by focusing on a couple of different positional groups each week. We're starting out with the running backs and linebackers, but before we dive into that, you are first and foremost a draft aficionado. Give us your overall impression of how Seattle did with their picks this year. I thought it was a fantastic draft. I think it's the best draft they've had in a, in a long time, fellas. And um, look, this is a very different offseason than it has been for a long time, where Amen. when you have Russell Wilson and it, and it felt like they were, one, maintaining and trying to keep a, a roster in some degree of contention, but at the same time, it also felt a little bit like Pete had his philosophy and his ideas, and they did not necessarily mesh with the franchise quarterback who they'd opted to pay $35 million. And I think there was a lot of sort of trying to also accommodate Wilson's wants and desires too. And, and it kind of created this marriage that, that's been obviously heading a certain way for some time, and now it's it's led to a divorce. And I think really the Seahawks have, have been able to gain some clarity and focus now on, on what kind of team they want to be, what direction they're going to go. It doesn't mean they're going to make a success of it necessarily. And by all means, Denver could go on and have great success with Russell Wilson. But, you know, this is the situation they're in. I think they did a great job in the draft. They had the kind of draft class they needed to. It needed to build a foundation in this draft. So going and getting two bookend tackles, getting a couple of pass rushes, you know, investing in cornerbacks and receivers. And I really like the Ken Walker pick. You know, I think that he is a good football player. I think he's a talented player who will help you win football games 
for the next few years. So I, I like that pick. I like what they did in the draft. So two thumbs up for me. I think they've had a great offseason. And and you haven't been afraid to criticize this team's process. So if if Rob is saying two thumbs up, they don't come by that easy, do they? No. And look, I, I just like to feel I, I like to think that I'm just being honest about it. You know, totally. if, if I if, if I don't see if I see something that I don't think is right, then I'll say so. And, it, and if I see something that I think has been really good, then I'll say so as well. And I think this was a really good draft, you know, and I think that you come out of the draft and you kind of feel like they don't have too many holes left. You know, there's certainly areas that they can improve. But, you know, more I'm thinking, I can't wait for training camp to start. I can't wait for the preseason games. You know, last season, Jackson, you and I were on a podcast and I didn't even realize the Silks were playing their first preseason game yeah. that weekend. I mean, that's how bad it had got. And yet here we are now and I'm thinking, bring it on. You know, I saw the dates, the first game's in mid-August. And I was thinking, oh, great. You know, can't wait for that Steelers game in the first week of preseason. Because I want to see who's going to win this cornerback battle. Who's going to end up starting at cornerback for Seattle? You know, how's this receiver battle going to shape up with a lot of bodies in there? You know, how are these two new tackles going to settle in? And what is this defense going to look like with this new identity and a few tweaks made to it with, with new coaching staff involved? I think it's a pretty exciting time. And look, I know there's going to be a whole bunch of people out there who are not excited about what the Seahawks have at quarterback and, and the battle that's going to ensue there. I'm interested in it. You know, I, I'm somewhat intrigued to see what Drew Locke can do. I do not think Drew Locke is going to lead this team to another Super Bowl in the future, but I'm kind of intrigued to see how he gets on this year to see if he can win a job and, and, and play some interesting football for the Seahawks. If nothing else, he has a big arm. He can throw it downfield to DK Metcalf. So I'm, I'm interested to see how that works out. Yeah, you mentioned a couple of things that I want to chew on a little bit. One is looking forward to training camp because, you know, Pete Carroll has obviously built his philosophy around the idea of always competing. But let's be real, for the last decade, most of the starting spots have been decided. You know, no no one's going to have a great week of practice and take Bobby Wagner's job. No one's going to have uh, a great practice and take Dwayne Brown's job. You know, and, and now we see a lot of these positions opened up where it really is going to be a free for all. And we're going to get to see who takes advantage of an opportunity instead of just competing for depth spots. Absolutely. And I think this is part of what this off season is, is about. And look, there's going to be a whole bunch of people out there who are not happy about this, that, that it's Pete Carroll sort of doubling down on what a Pete Carroll football team is. You know, people wanted to move on and they wanted to rally behind Russell Wilson. But I'm kind of of the opinion of the decision's been made now. No one's going to change that decision. We might as well focus on on what's ahead for this team. And if you are going to have Pete Carroll as your head coach, you might as well have his vision and not him sort of having this really muddled vision that isn't really what he's in favor of. And and that is a lot of competition. It's It's a lot of guys fighting it out. And it doesn't mean they're necessarily going to find you know, players that they found in 2010, 2011, 2012 to make up a championship roster. But I guess you never know, you know, and even if it, it doesn't have to be, you know, the 2013 roster for this to be a success, you can be, there are sort of tiers below that where you can still win a lot of football games from these guys emerging. And I think they do have some legitimate, good young players. I think part of it, when they've talked up competition in the past, I don't think anybody really had any faith in some of these young players actually being good enough would you look at it now and you think, yeah, do you know what? I can see some of these players developing into starters. I'm intrigued to see what they're going to do. And that's a big positive. You know, I think it's been pretty boring following the Seahawks for the last couple of years. 
not boring anymore. I mean, I'm interested to see what's going to happen next. Yeah, I'm I'm totally with you there. And, you know, touching on the Wilson thing, we've talked about it so much. And I think it's fair to let opinions evolve with new information. It's so funny, you know, it's it's common to compare the fans relationship or the team's relationship um, with Russell Wilson to a marriage or, or to a romantic relationship. And, and if you do, you know, I, one thing I appreciate about Seattle is, okay, it, it didn't work out, but on one hand, you know, when, when you're with someone, you, you get used to the annoyances or you kind of overlook them. And then when you see them doing that, post breakup you're just like oh my god and some of these videos that russell wilson is doing and all the let's ride stuff and and all all of that is just like oh man is that how it looked to everyone else when he was doing it in seattle hey listen you know i love russell wilson and what he did for seattle but you're absolutely right and look there was there was certainly some some moments you know like the, the GQ video, you know, they did the video about the photo shoot that they had. And here's Russell Wilson's, you know, variety of photos from his holiday to Italy where he's, he's you know, wearing clothes that I would not be seen dead in. And, you know, there's <laughs> the, the various sort of little catchphrases and the way that he speaks. I mean, some of these Denver videos, the one about the schedule and the one about the draft. Oh, man. Yeah, can I watch them? I and mean, I know a few Broncos fans, you know, one of them even posted me a, Drew, a signed Drew Locke jersey the week after the trade. So that's how <laughs> invested he is in this. Um, you know, I've had great joy sort of sending those videos to him and saying, yeah, enjoy this because, you know, you might uh-huh, uh-huh. you might get your 10 wins next season, but you've also got to deal with this. So, right. Um, <laughs> right. Also, he doesn't have a contract yet, so uh, you better hurry up and sell that team to someone who can throw $200 million into escrow or else you're going to have the same fun in the last next couple off seasons that we've had with ours. But, you know, uh, flipping it back to Seattle, the other thing that I appreciate is if we want to keep torturing this analogy – is they resisted the urge in this draft in this offseason to have a rebound relationship. You know, they're they're going to date. They're going to date uh, Drew Locke. You know, Geno Smith's kind of been the friend that's been hanging around. Maybe you see if there's something there. But they're not getting married again right away. I think they're going to kind of see how it goes and play the field a little bit. And, you know, as tempting as it was, uh, Mike and I were – we're recording live for each of Seattle's picks. And each time after the first round, we're like, is this the quarterback? Malik Willis is still there. Desmond Ritter is still there. Are they going to do it? Are they going to do it? And and they didn't. They resisted the urge. And now that all of that has settled, I'm pretty glad that they did. How do you feel about them passing on the opportunity to get a quarterback in this draft? Absolutely delighted. You know, I couldn't be happier about that. You know, there was there were several sort of moments in this draft, such as the the Abraham Lucas pick, uh, where I could have easily have popped a bottle of champagne, you know, and just yeah. indulged in the enjoyment of that. But not taking a quarterback at all was was right up there as well. Look, as soon as the trade was made, I think it was I did a live stream for two hours, and then when I was watching the videos of the draft, the quarterbacks in the draft, and I pretty much watched every game from the 2021 season of all the, the big-name quarterbacks b- before the draft, and I watched at least half of their games from, from 2020. I didn't want anything to do with this class. You know, there was there was nobody that made me think, this guy's going to be a top-20 quarterback in the NFL. I'm not talking about that top five. I'm not saying 
they're the next Josh Allen or they're not going to be the next Josh Allen or the next Pat Mahomes or somebody like that. I'm, I'm really talking about them being, they're not even going to be Baker Mayfield. You know, it's, it, there yeah. was just nobody to me. And you, and you could kind of run through them all and see the flaws. And, and then I had a chat with, with Scott McLuhan and, and he spelled it out in the interview that I did with him. He said, look, these are basically a bunch of third-round picks and three of them are going to go in the first round. And as it turns out, even the NFL, because we always assume the NFL is going to take these guys in the first round because right. it's the quarterback position. Even the NFL said, we don't. You know what? We'll That's crazy. You know, yeah. we'll, we'll wait till round three. We, we don't think of these guys. And, and look, you know, I think they did the right thing. I'm, I'm already looking at sort of next year and I'm thinking, what, what have you got? Okay, so look, if, if you'd have drafted a quarterback this year, your record's probably going to be what it is, you know, whatever happens this year, whether you took a quarterback or not. And if you don't feel that the quarterback you've taken is going to be like the long-term answer, then why waste a pick on that? Then you look at next year's quarterback draft class and you think, hmm, yeah, do you know what? There's legitimately, I mean, there's, there's three or four guys who are going to be in the draft next year who are going to be really, really good. So you're either going to be in a range to draft one of those guys or you have two first-round picks, two second-round picks. You've got your first-round picks in the years beyond that as well. You can move up and get one of these players. And yes. I couldn't be more excited about Will Levis at Kentucky, Tyler Van Dyke at Miami. I think there are some. I think there are more question marks about Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud than the media's letting on. Um, but they're going to probably go in the first round as well. So that you, right now, to be sort of sat here in May and say there's there's four guys who could potentially go in the first round. Is more than you usually get. And then you sort of leave it for the, the possibility of one or two others emerging, which tends to happen. You know, no one was talking about Kenny Pickett a year ago. No one was talking about Joe Burrow the year before he right. went, went first overall. There's always a chance that somebody else can emerge as well. So next year is the year to go and invest in a young quarterback. And that's the exciting thing about this year as well. You know, a disappointing Seahawks performance will be offset by the great quarterback performance you watched on the Saturday the day before. So, you know, they, that's, that's going to be the little... Um, comforter for uh, for Seahawks fans, I think this year. Yeah, well, and it's it's going to be super interesting to monitor those quarterbacks throughout the year because I haven't really given a shit what collegiate quarterbacks are doing for the last decade, and now I care a great deal. So that part of it will be fun. But let's let's narrow the scope a little bit here. Uh, we've got you primarily talk about linebackers and running backs, and those happen to be the positions Seattle addressed early in the second round. We touched on it a little bit earlier, but tell me, what were your initial reactions to the selections of Boye Mafe and Ken Walker III? Very happy. And look, Boye Mafe initially, at the Senior Bowl, he made it look easy. You know, that was that was the thing that really stood out for me, was that he, he made it look effortless with the way that he, he won. And he won in a variety of ways. He could win with speed. He could win by getting his hands into your chest and driving you back into the quarterback. He can engage, disengage. You've got the speed to power. He then goes to his pro day, jumps a 42-inch vertical. You know, he's, he's, he runs a 1.5, 10-yard split. You know, he's, he's an elite athlete. It's crazy. He's got the profile of a top, top pass rusher. Now, he, for me, was, I think it's at one point after the senior bowl, people were talking about him potentially being mid-first round, and I agreed with that. I think by the end, it kind of settled as he was going to likely be a late first-round pick. There was a lot of talk that the Chiefs were interested in him. Now, I don't think anybody expected George Karlaftis to fall to the end of the first round. And I think if he didn't, the Chiefs probably would have taken Boya Mafe at the very end of the first round. Instead, he lasts into the second. I thought that was a terrific pick for the Seahawks. On top of that, I would urge everybody to go and watch his interview immediately after the Senior Bowl game, to go and listen to him speak. The, the man is going to come in and, and be a mature leader very, very quickly on a young team. I think that's important. 
And I think that there's a very real prospect that if you put him across from Daryl Taylor, you could have, you may not have a Nick Bosa game wrecker or an Aaron Donald game wrecker or, you know, the Miles Garrett type that, that you know, the teams kind of feel like they really want these days because they, they're the guys that on defense can win you a game. But what the Seahawks have got now for me are two guys who can probably do what Bennett and Averill did, which is be, both be really good, but combine to wreck games rather than just having that one elite star player. And if Taylor can get you 10, and if Boya Mafe can get you 10, and if you've got Chenyman Wosu chipping in there and an Alton Robinson, wow, you have got a pass rush. And it feels like for the last sort of three years, we've been hoping as fans, fix the pass rush. They've been saying it in press conferences, like at the end of the season, we're going to fix the pass rush. We have priorities to fix the pass rush. And it kind of never happens. They kind of just, you know, put a Band-Aid on everything. It feels like now, there is a legit chance that this pass rush can move forward with young, vibrant talent. So yes, very, very excited by the boy of my fake pig. And then with Ken Walker, look, I, I don't know how deep you want to go into the whole debate on, on running backs because it's a very divisive topic. Hey, we're, we we're here for it, man. And, and I think it's one that's worth exploring specifically uh, through the lens of how Seattle wants to play football. So have at it. Okay, well, look, I'm a huge fan of the, of the pick. I, I always kind of personally, you know, when people talk about the value of the position, my personal stance on it is the draft there is to get good players who can help you win football games, essentially. I'm not really bothered about positional value so much in the draft. Yes, in an ideal world, you would always draft your quarterback very early or your left tackle very early or your pass rush or cornerback very early or even receiver. That's become a very important position in the modern NFL. But frankly, if you can get a really good player who can help you in football games, I'm, I'm not going to complain about that pick. And Ken Walker is a really good football player. I mean, and, and this is the thing. For all the complaints about the pick, no one's suggesting he's a bad football player. Have you heard a single person say a bad thing about Ken Walker? No one's going, eh, he's not good enough. You know, if I had him graded in round three, or, you know, he, he doesn't do this very well. No, people go, he's a great running back. He, you know, um, Dane Brugler had him rated as like a fringe first round guy. You know, plenty of people kind of felt he might be the 30th best player in the draft. And you get him in the 40s, in the early 40s, and no one says anything about his qualities of player. It's all about, it's the position he plays. And then you just kind of look at some of the guys drafted in that kind of range. Your Derek Henrys. What are the Titans without Derek Henry, really? Yep. What are, you know, the... Joe Mixon, Dalvin Cook, Jonathan Jonathan Taylor, Taylor, you know, wow. You know, if you could get a player of Jonathan Taylor's quality at that pick with Ken Walker, are we really going to complain? And Nick Chubb, are we going to complain about that? Because some some people will, for sure. (laughs) He he could be Jim Brown. It might not matter. But I, I, I think to your point, there's, you know, there's a strong analytical case to be made for waiting on running back. But I think that gets taken too far. The idea that you can just find anybody later on and, and plug them in. And anyone who's watched Seattle in the post Marshawn Lynch era has seen that when you've got your top running back rolling, you know, whether it's Chris Carson, pre-injury, Thomas Rawls, Rashad Penny at the end of this last season, it is a totally different team. They are explosive. The passing game is more explosive. Uh, it Football really is symbiotic. And I, 
I absolutely agree that the running back is less important than it was 10 years ago as a position. No one is trading their entire draft for Herschel Walker or Ricky Williams anymore, but it doesn't mean that it's not important. And I think the draft is the best way to approach it. I personally am a bigger fan of drafting for talent and spending for need because it's going to take most rookies, especially the ones that aren't being taken right at the top of the draft, a while to become serviceable NFL football players and potential starters or stars, but the majority of them aren't going to be that. Uh, Your goal in the draft, in my opinion, is to stockpile as much talent as you can. And yes, you can weight that by position, but I don't think it's worth being absolutist. There was a really, really steep talent cliff after Brees Hall and Kenneth Walker were off the board, in my opinion, when it came to the running back position. This was the last guy. It's a position that matters a great deal to Pete Carroll. I think it's a very fragile running back room right now. We'll get to that in a second. And and Walker shores that up a great deal. Seattle has a massive arsenal of free agent money to spend next year. If you need to address gaps in your roster, that's when you do it. But these draft picks that you're going to have for three, four, five years at a minimum, it should be about stockpiling talent. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I completely agree. I, I'm, I'm trying to find um, the contract of Levi on Muzurike. Um, I've got it here. Because he was the, the player who was drafted in, in Ken Walker's position a year ago. And, and his sort of average salary, okay, I've got it here, is, is $2 million. So over the course of his four-year contract, he, he's going to cost the Detroit Lions $2 million a year. And when people talk about value, positional value in the draft, I kind of think, okay, so you've spent a, a reasonably high pick on, on that position. We also have to take into account that you could, if, if you get the kind of value that someone like Jonathan Taylor is providing for the Indianapolis Colts at $2 million a year for four years, and then you've got the option of a franchise tag, and then you could let them walk and just go and find somebody else in the draft, that's really good value at a position like that, at a position that can help you very, very quickly. There's not that kind of learning curve that you get with a lot of other positions. So, you know, I, I don't have a, an issue with that. I mean, look, I would never, I, the, you're completely right. The game's changed. You know, I'm old enough to remember sort of thinking, oh, I hope the Silks draft no Sean Moreno in the top 15. And it would never do anything, never want anything like that again. You know, right. it's, it's, I, I'm never going to pine for a running back in the top 10. You know, and I, I remember one in Leonard Fournette and thinking Leonard Fournette was really good and Saquon Barkley. There'll never be a, a, a running back that I want to take in the top 10 ever again in any draft ever. Sure. And, and yet in this kind of range, I will happily take someone like like Ken Walker and and just feel like, yeah, do you know what? They can provide you some some salary value. They can be productive. I, I like this pick, and, and I just think we can try too hard sometimes. You know, I saw the people's the other suggestions that people wanted. You know, the people who were disappointed in the Ken Walker pick, you know, had kind of shown their hand a little bit by tweeting who they were hoping for with that pick before it was made. And some of these guys were lasting into day three. So I'm saying if you're going to quibble about them taking Ken Walker and then post early in the day somebody who ended up going in round five that you wanted to take in that, in that slot, come on. Ken Walker's a really good player. I say no one says anything bad about Ken. It's only about the fact that they took a running back. And I think we need to sort of move beyond this. And you, you're absolutely right about the Marshall Lynch thing. I mean, it, I remember writing an article in 2014 after they played the Giants and the Raiders saying the hardest thing the Silks are ever going to have to do is, is replace Marshall Lynch because you just he's just so integral to everything, the identity, 
he's an icon in Seattle. I mean, for me, he should be mm-hmm. in, the, in the Hall of Fame without question. And his value has never really been replaced to the team. He was a first-round pick. He was like number he's 11 overall. Pick, which people forget. And I would draft Marshall Lynch in the first round now. I mean, if there was another Marshall Lynch clone, I would happily spend a first-round <laughs> right. pick on that. I mean, who wouldn't? But um, and, and the other thing is, is that people say, well, just draft one later. Well, I, there's a couple of points I'd make on that. First of all, the Seahawks have had real trouble drafting running backs later. I mean, like the Travis Homers, the DJ Dallas's, the CJ Procises, the Thomas Rawls they picked up. You know, Chris Carson's been injured a lot. Yes, he was a seventh-round pick, but he's a seventh-round pick for a reason, because he had injuries all the way through high school and college. And he's had injuries in the NFL. You know, th- these guys have not worked out for the Seahawks. And some of the teams, you know, like the, the Shanahan system has, you know, for, for decades now has done a great job sort of finding running backs and, and play them in. But then Kyle takes a running back in the third round every year. You know, he's always looking. He took another one this year. He took one last year. He takes one every single year in yep. the third round. So he obviously values that. And the other argument really is that, you know, people like Sean McVay has drafted a running back in the second round in Cam Akers in the last couple of years. And he knows the benefit of having somebody drafted high in Todd Gurley because Todd Gurley really helped him get to that first Super Bowl. And the other thing is that, Andy Reid's drafted a running back in the end of the first round. Now, look, Clyde Edwards-Alaire has not lived up to expectations so far. But, it, you know, I'm tempted to say if these guys think it's kind of worth taking a running back early, then maybe it's not such a bad thing for the Seahawks to do it either. I'm, I'm, I don't have any issue with it, frankly. And I'm just more excited to see the guy play. One of the things that I appreciated about the Ken Walker pick, as opposed to the Rashad Penny pick, and just for the sake of this conversation, let's just equate the two picks generally it was like 27 versus 41 that's significant draft capital that you're spending on a running back right with the Rashad Penny pick that felt more like a band-aid they hadn't addressed the line really and it was like okay we're gonna take this prolific college running back who according to the last several weeks of last year right like the talent is obvious right like the the traits were there that was they were sort of vindicated a little bit in that regard obviously the totality of the four years didn't go all that great but with the Kenneth Walker pick they did address the line in this same draft right you've got your tackles of the future you have Damian Lewis you have Gabe Jackson center is still kind of up in the air but you sign somebody that is whelming if if nothing else right and so it wasn't just oh, well, we have a dumpster fire going on up front and we're just going to hope that this guy can cover up those blemishes. It's, oh, let's get this symphony going one instrument at a time. I like that. There's one other thing. To to compare this to the penny pick as well, I mean, Rashad Penny widely was regarded as a second, third-round prospect who was taken in the first round. That doesn't mean he was. You know, a lot of teams, by all accounts, it sounds like other teams had him rated in the same range as the Seals. But the Seals probably had a second-round grade on him. And they took him at the end of the first round. And they had the pick of the running backs. Now, the problem for that is, is that felt like a bit of a reach that people didn't expect. It was, a, it was what people have come to know as a typical Seahawks pick. You know, it was unexpected right. when it happened. And, and there was other running backs that have since gone on. Look, I, I'm, I'm happy to accept that. So the, the, running, the three running backs I was kind of looking at for the Seahawks in that, with that pick, because I thought there was a chance they were going to take one, was um, on Johnson who's not had a good career. He, he got injuries. He, he kind of flashed, but then got injured, and we've never seen the end of him. Ronald Jones, it's not been good, not been very good. And Nick Chubb, who's been exceptional. Now, I, so I was batting one for three from those, from those players that I thought were good and, and could be options for the Seahawks. But when you have someone like Chubb, who kind of sits there like five picks later, 
just sort of went like a big alarm setting off in your face every time he had a great game for the for the Browns. And and you're thinking, and this guy like fit the Seahawks perfectly. The running style, the profile, the explosive traits, the size. It was Seahawks, Seahawks, Seahawks. And they seem to have taken Rashad Penny because his medical record was better in the Mac playing one year. That's analytics, baby. You know, but 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 Nick Chubb had a knee injury two years ago. He's had like two thousand yard seasons since, and he carried them to the the championship game. But you know, Rashad Penny was healthy that one year in the Mac. And uh, look. It, that's that was what was confusing about it. This is completely different. This is like okay, they've taken a player who was expected to go in the range he was expected to go. Who had an amazing year for Michigan State, who dragged his team. He dragged a really bad Michigan State team, kicking and screaming to a great season. The University of Michigan was the top three team this year, and Ken Walker's game against them was outrageous. Like. Mich- the, the Spartans had nothing going. They they didn't belong on the same field. And Ken Walker demolished Michigan. And you and, and how did he do it? With a bit of everything. You know, a great cut explodes, takes it to the house. Vision, power, you know, everything that you want to see from a player. And and look, you can even dig into it a little further and say the character of the man. I don't know if you've seen the video of when he was drafted. It's just a really charming video. And, you know, he, he reminds me a little bit of the personality of someone like Tyler Lockett, who's, who's been a really good pick for the Seahawks and a, and a, and a you know, a classic Seahawks player for a number of years. So I, I understand that there are plenty of people out there. You know, I, I th- maybe it's a little harsh for me to sort of go down this road. Certainly, I don't want to lose you any listeners by saying this. But it kind of feels like sometimes the analytics crowd, they kind of want every team to look the same. They kind of want every team to make the same decisions in terms of roster, in-game. And anybody who veers away from what you know the analytics says, they get criticized. I think that one of the beautiful things about football is that you have a whole bunch of teams who do things differently. You know, that you have yeah. different ideas in terms of how you build your team, different ideas in how you're going to play the game. It's not, that You're not just seeing 32 clones of each other doing everything by the book or the spreadsheet, that they're, they're doing things differently in a competition to see who comes out on top. And, and that's what's great about sport. It's one of the things that makes the NFL. It's one of the things I love about you know, English football and soccer is that you have, there are more, you know, the old saying is there's more than one way to skin a cat. And, that, and it kind of feels like that that's with, with sport there is. And look, I, might, I may not d- agree with some of the decisions that the Seahawks make and, and Pete Carroll's philosophy, but... Um, I'm, I'm at least going to try and detach my own personal opinion because I think people sort of assume, well, you must be a huge fan of like drafting running backs. You must want them, want them to take one in the top five and stuff. There's nothing to do with that. I just kind of feel like Carol's the coach. Carol and Schneider are the decision makers. We know what kind of team they want to build. Let them build it. Let's see yeah. how it goes. Well, and and for all of the advent of these really efficient passing offenses, you need you still need a really efficient system to go with that. You need really really good players uh, at each of the positions in order to make that happen. But we've seen other teams have a lot of success, like the Forty ers and the Ravens, uh, the Titans, the Packers. For all everything that Aaron Rodgers has done, they are still a pretty run heavy team by NFL standards when it comes to uh, neutral situation play calls and, and all of that. And these teams have had a lot of success. And, and I think the best running team because they've had like 45 straight games with a hundred 
plus yards rushing is Baltimore Ravens. And we saw what happened to that offense when their running backs got hurt. They just weren't, I mean, they, they would get to their hundred yards, but it was lots of scrambling from their quarterback, whether it was uh, Lamar Jackson or Tyler Huntley, it was a lot of just kind of grinding it out, but they went from being a championship contender team to barely being a playoff contender without those top running backs. And they're, they're subbing in Latavius Murray and uh, Devonte Freeman. I think Le'Veon Bell was there for a minute and, and the, you know, these types of guys is just, they lost the juice much in the same way that we've seen Seattle does it. So if we zoom out a bit and look at the RB room as a whole, functionally speaking, we're probably talking about Walker, Rashad Penny, Chris Carson, DJ Dallas. And I think that's it, right, Mike? Absolutely. No one else <laughs> worth mentioning. Look, I just want to say, Rob, I noticed that earlier. I noticed your little shot at Travis Homer. Okay. The disrespect Travis has been noted Homer. and will not that's be forgotten. Right. All right. That's right. Travis All right. Homer. Let's put some respect on the man's name. <laughs> Have you seen the picture of him this week? Okay, it looks like Robert Turbin. Really? Looks like he's been in the gym. He's, all, he's all beefed up. Oh, yeah. Look, he pretty My guy's big. been pumping some iron and ready to take out some pent-up aggression on the rest of the league. That's RB1 in fantasy right there. Okay, okay, all right. So, all right, let's uh, snap back to reality here. Let's go through each of these guys. I think the biggest domino in all of this is Chris Carson because if he was fully healthy, I believe he's still the running back one for this team. Uh, I think he's earned that. I think he's shown it. And for as great as Rashad Penny was at the end of last year, for as exciting a prospect as Ken Walker is, I think this room would belong to a fully healthy Chris Carson. The problem is he may or may not have a broken neck and might not ever carry a football in the NFL again. Rob, what's your read on that situation? How do you feel the effect of that sort of cascades through the rest of the position? Yeah, I mean, I think if there was any realistic prospect to the Seahawks having any confidence in him playing this year, I don't think they would have taken uh, Ken Walker. Um, or maybe they've just decided we can't trust, and this is a, a very valid position to take, we can't trust Carson and Penny to stay healthy. We need to we need to add to this room. And Walker is kind of insurance plus, you know, somebody who's going to take on the baton, whether that's this year or next year. And and uh, Carson, if he can play, great. But if not, he's not going to be for long. So I, 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 I think this is trending a certain way. I think we can all see it's trending a certain way with Chris Carson that eventually he's either going to not play or or the Seahawks are going to release him. Uh, we will see with that. But, you know, I would fully expect when the season starts for Rashad Penny to be, you know, the lead RB1 and then Kenneth Walker chasing at his heels. And um, I, I think it's exciting. I think it's a really, look, I, I like the physicality of the game. I think that football without without an element of physicality is not as fun. You know, and maybe that's a little bit of a caveman thing to think but um i i like the aspects of the game that are not what you would call finesse and i think if we can get the seahawks running like they did at the end of last season with penny with walker with sir travis homer um then then it will they will be a more fun team to watch and i think they will find a way to keep games close and i think that i think that's what we're going to see this year because of this running game i think we're going to see a lot of games where the seahawks are in them and they may not have the quarterbacking talent to win those close games, but I think they're going to be in a heck of a lot of games. I don't think it's just going to be an ugly season in terms of blowouts, 
there may be one or two, but I think that, especially at the end of the season when they play some really good teams, but I think that they're going to stay in a lot of games because of their running game. I think that's going to be led by Rashad Penny and, and hopefully Ken Walker. Yeah, this team's going to be extremely feisty. And, you know, for as frustrated as I've been over the last, call it six seasons or so, with a lot of the in-game Pete Carroll stuff, I also have to accept that I think most NFL fans get frustrated with their head coach on a weekly basis uh, when it comes to play calling and timeout usage and when they review plays and all of that, you know, or challenge calls. Sure. I, I think some of that's universal. Pete is maybe not elite at that stuff, but what I do believe he is still absolutely top of the game at is getting professional, highly paid, alpha athletes to show up and compete their asses off. And we saw that in the final two games of a lost season last year when they had nothing really to play for uh, from the outside looking in. And they showed up against the Lions and the Cardinals like they were playoff games. And they played two of their best games of the last few years. And, and a lot of that was predicated on the running game, just dominating. You just, you just saw the juice. You know, there, there's a big pass play is awesome and it gets everyone hyped up and, you know, from an efficiency standpoint, they're easier to come by big plays through the air than on the ground. But when you get a big run and you get a running back that is in flow and dominating, you just see the effect on the sideline is just different. It matters a lot. So we we've seen that uh, potential from Chris Carson at the NFL level. We saw Rashad Penny be the best running back on the planet for a month and a half at the end of this past season. We think Ken Walker has the potential to do it. Perfect world. Let's assume Carson's out of the mix. How do you see the playing time get divvied up? Let, let's assume for the sake of discussion that Penny and Walker stay relatively healthy throughout the season. How do you see their roles being divvied out? I hope that if one of them is playing to the to the extent to which Penny played at the end of last year, that they will get the vast bulk of the the carries. I think that it's it's important to sort of spell and make sure that your guys are not worn down. And obviously, there has to be some management with people like Penny because of the injuries that he's had. But if Rashad Penny starts this season running the way he did the way he ended last season, give him the football. Look, I, I, I have no issue with that whatsoever. There isn't, and I, I hope we don't go down this road of Penny has a great start and everyone's like, oh, why did they waste a pick on Ken Walker? Because come on, guys, look, we don't have to have that discussion every week for 17, 18 weeks. Well, there's there's no rush with Walker if no. Penny's rolling. He's, exactly. he's 21 years old. They've got him for a bit. There's a lot to learn uh, at the running back position at the NFL level. I'm with you. If Penny carries that juice over into this year, I love the idea of five to 10 opportunities for Ken Walker and learning from watching Penny go off with the other 15 to 20. And you mentioned the games at the end of the year. The other game that stuck out for me was the Steelers game. Well, they came out after half time and just said, we're going to run the ball right out the Steelers. And they did it. And the Steelers had no answer. And the Seahawks should have it's won crazy. that game. The Seahawks should, Seahawks should have beaten the Steelers on the road in a game that nobody gave them any chance in with Geno Smith at the quarterback. And Russell Wilson doing his pretend game beforehand and everyone was talking about that. That felt like that was going to be the most interesting thing from a Seahawks perspective by half time. But they came out and they just ran the ball right down their throat. 
and it showed what an equalizer it was by being able to do that. Now, you have got to be creative with your runs. You can't be predictable. That is sometimes a problem with the Carroll system is that do they have enough variety in their runs? Would it be nice to see a bit more imagination? Yes. However, I do think that they have a great chance to be very competitive this year by getting Rashad Penny going again. And if and if they can find a way to get Ken Walker involved, great. If Penny gets injured, you've got Walker on standby. I just like this room. I think this is a real strength of the Seahawks. I think a lot of fans, like you say, get angry with their coaches. I can only imagine what the Bengals fans were saying about Zach Taylor halfway through last season. That guy took their team to a Super Bowl. So, and and do you know what? And I was a a very outspoken critic of Carroll. And if they'd have moved on from him and appointed Nathaniel Hackett and kept Russell Wilson, then that would have been A-OK with me. However, I also remember thinking as the coaching appointments were being made this year, there's nobody who I really, really, really want. You know, there's the, the, the you know, I could, if they've gone and gone for a Darball or a, a Hackett, fine. Sure. He's, he's the one Dabble's the one that yeah. that's kind of the fun. What if, but you know, I, I think to your point about creativity with runs. Yeah. I, I think it's been a pretty stagnant uh, running attack in terms of, they don't do a whole lot of different things, but I don't think that's how Shane Waldron wants to do it. I think Shane Waldron has enough cards in his hand to really switch it up from what we've seen uh, for a long time. The thing is, I don't think Russell Wilson was a good fit for what Shane Waldron wants to do. Russell Wilson is exceptional at the things that he's good at. There's nothing that he's just like all right at. He's either amazing at, his accuracy, his elusiveness, his deep ball, all of that stuff. But he's pretty poor at short throws. He's a terrible screen pass thrower, and he refuses to go over the middle of the field shorter than 15 yards. That puts a lot of constraints on an offense and the types of calls that you can make in in the middle of a game. And if you look at what the Rams did with Shane Waldron there, it was a lot of short passes. It was a lot of screens and swing passes to the running backs. And it was a lot of short over the middle of the field. So I, I think that we may actually get a chance to actually see what they were envisioning bringing Shane Waldron in this year, even though there's most likely a massive step back in productivity at quarterback. Completely agree. And look, Wilson was a magician and when he was scrambling around and he'd extend plays and he'd make miracles happen on a football field. But I always kind of felt that he wasn't even very good at sort of the bootleg stuff sometimes. And, I, you know, there's been plenty of times when I watched the Rams have Jared Goff back there and somehow they would just move the ball at will by having Jared Goff, you know, sort of shift in the pocket and get him on the move, bit of play action, get him on the outside, get everybody moving to that same side. He'd just find somebody on a crossing route for seven yards and it would be sort of death by a thousand cuts that way. And Wilson never, it never felt like Wilson could do that. And right. you're right. You know, are we going to see a bit more of that when it's called for, you know, if, if I, I get, I get the feeling that one of the reasons why Aaron Donald dominates the Seahawks so much is, is because of Wilson to an extent. Yet when you watch the Niners play the Rams, Aaron Donald, you barely even notice is on the field. Because mm-hmm. they can scheme around that, they can get the ball out quickly. 
They can shift the pocket a little bit easier. And with Wilson, Wilson's Wilson. And you, yeah. you, you take the rough with the smooth, and the smooth was amazing, but the rough hurt against certain opponents in certain situations. I'm going to miss the heck out of Russell Wilson. To- but, uh, totally. I, we'll see. No, there's, there's no, absolutely no question about it. You know, I've, I've often said <laughs> that, you know, I love Monday through Saturday Pete Carroll and struggle with Sunday Pete Carroll. Well, I love Sunday Russell Wilson. I struggle with Monday through Saturday Russell Wilson. <laughs> and, and you know, it's just like, all right, we got a great decade out of them. But, listen, I want to get to the linebackers here in a sec. But before we do, just to round it out, when you look at this running back group and you see DJ Dallas and Travis Homer, are you merely seeing depth in special teams? Or do you think that there is an intentional role for these guys this season? Well, I'm interested because I mentioned earlier, you know, the, the picture of Homer – I saw it today and I was like, I raised an eyebrow at that because he looks bigger. He looks like he's added size and it looks like it's muscle, like he looks ripped. Uh, the guy's guns are very impressive. Um, and if they've asked him to add size, that might be with the idea of, look, you can get on the field if you're a little bit bigger here and and do more than just special teams. And look, I think Dallas is a. I think they're both fun players who can help you. You know, it, it's just that whenever they've been given a chance to run the football in for meaningful snaps, they've not convinced. But they're going to have a role on special teams. Hopefully, they will not be needed to run the football because you've you've got Penny and, and Walker. But you know, I certainly wouldn't rule them out. You know, you, why would you do that? You know, you, you sort of see. See how they get along. See if they can take a step. I don't think they'll ever be amount to anything in terms of, you know, meaningful snaps in the NFL as runners. But um, by all accounts, they appear to be great special teams players, and that's a really important aspect of the game. So, if nothing else, they provide that. It is. It's easy to forget that you're only allowed to carry 53 and dress 46, and you've got 22 starting positions plus specialists. You know, your kicker, punter, long snapper, that gets you up to 25 guys. So you got to, especially, you don't want to be throwing your best players out there on special teams and, and getting them hurt. So there, there's a ton of value in being good at the things that DJ Dallas and, and Travis Homer are good at. And frankly, if the other team knows you're passing, they're pretty good guys in there to have protecting the quarterback on, on pass plays. And, and they can do a few things on, on draws and, and dump offs and things like that. But let's switch it over to the other side of the ball, because I think this is where things get really, really interesting for Seattle moving forward. When it comes to the linebackers, we've got a group of players stepping into a massive identity vacuum for a decade. This positional group was anchored by KJ Wright and Bobby Wagner. And now both of those guys are gone. And the Seahawks may be switching defensive schemes. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think it's it's a sea change, and I think you've summed it up pretty well there. Because it wasn't just the fact that Wagner left, and I uh, I know there's a lot of different opinions on this. I was in complete support of that of that decision to move yeah. on from Boy Wagner, and I think it was time. Um, but it's it's not just that he's gone; it's that he hasn't been replaced. They haven't drafted anybody. They've made a very minor move for a special teams ace from Chicago, who Sean Desai knows, and that's it. So they've they've not replaced him, which makes me think. And look, if you people can read about this on online, just Google it. 
Sean Desai, when he was the defensive coordinator in Chicago, he liked to use a lot of three safety sets. I think it's going to be interesting to see how this plays into this decision. You know, are we going to see a situation where, for example, Cody Barton plays first, second down, um, maybe first down uh, with Jordan Brooks? And then we, are we going to see Barton come off the field? Are we going to see Jamal Adams in a death backer type role where he's playing downfield, flying to the ball? Hope so. Getting into the backfield, which is what his skill set is perfect for. And then are we going to see Ryan Neal, who deserves more playing time, alongside Quandre Diggs on the back end to allow Jamal Adams to move forward and be in attack mode? I think that is one, ideally suited for, to get the most out of Jamal Adams in 2022. And two, just makes a lot of sense for the guys that you've got on your team. And, and I think you, or it helps you get your best 11 on the field. Because I think Ryan Neal, like I said, really deserves more playing time. And I think if you can get him and Diggs and Adams on the field and get Adams more aggressive, then... And, and look, the other thing is, is that Jamal Adams is the best when you can disguise where your pressure's coming from. And if you've got him, he may come, he may drop. If you've got your linebackers who can drop or they can press. If you've got your... You know, you, Brooks can come or he can drop. You know, that was how... Um, Greg Williams really made the most of Jamal Adams in New York by that deception. Where's the pressure yeah. going to come from? And I love, I love a defense that plays that way, man. You know, like a defense where you think, where, where the quarterback's thinking, oh, crap, where's the pressure going to come from here? And, um, you know, you're not just sort of relying on your front four to get home. You, you're kind of thinking, oh, yeah, do you know what? This could come from anywhere. And I think there's, the, the setup to do that now. So bring it up. Yeah, you know, and... One of the things that we've praised Pete Carroll for on this show was his admission that he's gotten a bit arrogant on defense. And who can blame him? He built the greatest defense of the last, you pick how many years. He led the NFL in points allowed four consecutive seasons. He built a philosophy that was copied by most of the rest of the NFL. And in doing so, he lost his edge on that. But we want him to just be like, oh, well, the league has caught up. Let's just do something different than this game plan I've been perfecting for 40 years. It takes a while to rewire all of that. And I applaud him for being willing to do that and to go with Clint Hurt and Sean Desai and approach the coming years with what appears to be more of a hybrid uh, look instead of just a base defense with a cover one or a cover three. It's... I think we're going to see a lot of different looks and I think they've got the players to do it. That that's the thing is, you know, you mentioned being okay with them moving on from Bobby Wagner and analytically, uh, professionally, strategically, I think both Mike and I were as well. Emotionally, of course it's, it's tougher, but if you're going to pay a defensive player $20 million, he has to do more than just be good at tackling, right? You, you need sacks, you need turnovers, you need disruption. And, not that Bobby Wagner couldn't do that, but the scheme didn't really give him the freedom to do that. And, and he's clearly lost some explosiveness. So, you know, now I think we've got a bunch of switchblades on this defense. And I think the Mafe draft pick speaks to that. I think Daryl Taylor is just waiting to be unleashed. And then I do think you have a stalwart that reminds us all a lot of early Bobby Wagner in Jordan Brooks. You mentioned him. I think he's ready to be the leader of this defense. I think he's ready to be the future of this defense. And 
we saw him step in when Bobby was out at the end of last season and play his ass off and, and be all over the field. So I, I am with you in that it's really tough to watch a defense just be stagnant, right? And show you their looks and you know what they're going to do and, and essentially say, we're just going to out execute you on each play. It's hard to do in today's NFL. And we've seen that kind of get exposed uh, over the last few seasons. So now we've got a bunch of guys you can move everywhere and, you know, we don't have to go through each of them because there's just a lot more linebackers than uh, (laughs) just about any other position. But you do have, I think, two groups. I think you've got your more traditional linebackers that stay in the middle of the field with your Jordan Brooks, your Cody Barton, your Ben Burkhaven, to some degree, Nick Ballore when he's out there. But then I think you've also got more of your attack linebackers. And we're talking about Ukena Nuosu, obviously Daryl Taylor, Alton Robinson. We talked about Mafe. Uh, you know, a, a lot of these guys are your typical edge rusher, and they're kind of a hybrid D lineman linebacker. How do you see those two subsets of linebackers playing off of each other this year? Well, I think it's going to be interesting to find out because this is, um, you know, Pete Cowell's always talked about using 3-4 uh, personnel in a 4-3, and like being a 4-3 under, and he maintains that it's not going to look too different this year. But yet there's been a lot of talk about outside linebackers and maybe adopting more concepts that would be akin to the actual 3-4. Um, I think that one of the best things I heard this entire offseason was Clint Hurt coming out and, and making it very clear that he wants his pass rushers going forward, not backwards, so that they're not dropping into coverage. And although you can you know, make some design rushes and have your linebackers dropping back into coverage, I think it's going to be great to see them get their heads down and try and rush uh, more often than not. And and this is the thing. Look, there's, there's a great... When you have... You know, one or two linebackers or one linebacker and a Jamal Adams who are lined up in a more central position and you've got two guys outside and then you have three pass rushes in front or if it's two and an extra rusher, in, you know, he can maybe kick one of these guys inside too. You know, they've got Quentin Jefferson who can do kind of that kind of role and you just say to a, an, an offense, okay, good luck guessing where this is coming from. Guess, good luck guessing what we're going to do. It creates so many issues and this is, you know, Vic Fangio... I, look, I have been, a, 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 I would say, probably quite an outspoken critic of Pete Carroll for, for a couple of years. And, and the, the, the Seahawks in general for the decisions they've made. I've disagreed with a lot of the decisions they've made. But I couldn't be more impressed with the decisions that they've made this year. I think they needed to have a resolution one way or the other to the Russell Wilson saga. They've done that. I think that the coaching appointments have been impressive. I think Clint Hurt is a star in the making. I think every time you listen to the guy speak, he's just got a vibe about him that you can imagine him being an NFL head coach one day. How um, how about how about recruiting three def- highly sought after defensive coordinator, essentially contenders for DC jobs around the NFL, and getting them all to agree to come to Seattle and work yeah. together? That's that's a pretty incredible sell job. I think getting Sean Desai is is a terrific get just because it's intriguing. It's a different voice. It's a guy who's been a coordinator who's from the Fangio tree. And they adapt all these concepts and it feels a little bit like, you know, one of the things I've been calling for for a while is I wish Carroll become a figurehead. I wish he would become more of what Nick Saban has become, which is I'm going to appoint the best coaches and I'm going to adapt to their ideas and we're going to take it in. It's going to be a collaborative effort rather than just this is my way of doing things and that's that. And it felt a little bit like when you get Ken Norton Jr., who is his old buddy, and you know you've got 
Brian Schottenheimer like it was Pete saying, I'm in control. And now it feels a little bit like Pete's going, okay, I'm in control, but you know, what ideas have you got? Let's, let's throw some things out there and, and see what works. And I'm excited. I'm really excited to see what this defense is going to look like. And you know, to, to bring it back to sort of the, 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 the rushes, I think Boya Mafe and Daryl Taylor could be a frightening combo. You know, I, I want Boya Mafe to watch Daryl Taylor in training camp in those preseason games and say, I am going to play with his level of aggression. Because Daryl Taylor could be the tone setter for this defense. He is just such physically superb. Technique is good. Obviously, he's got a skill set that is you know, coveted at the position. But my God, does he play with an anger and a violence. I mean, I, the one play that kind of sticks in my mind, and this is kind of what I made my mind up on Bobby, unfortunately, was that play where... I can't remember whether it was like a, a pass, dumb pass off something like this, or it was a screen or something, and Wagner's right there, and the defender's right there, and you think, just go and hit him, Bobby, and Bobby's hesitant, and he does, and then all of a sudden, Daryl Taylor comes from nowhere and just levels the guy, and it was just like, that's that's what I'm looking for, and um, to me, Daryl Taylor is Frank Clark without the red flags. Yeah, I think I, I think he'd be even better, and and Boya Mafe, if he can adapt some of that aggression to his game as well then uh, that's going to be a scary scene. Look you know, at the smile on this guy's face. Look at the I smile know, on Rob's face. My Rob God. is leaning in. He is leaning into the future of the Seahawks defense. And, you know, I, I, I think there are a lot of takeaways. Pete Carroll is one of the few coaches in football history to experience the highest degree of success at both the college game and the NFL game. And there's no question that – what made him so successful at USC informed his decision-making and roster building at the NFL level. And, and for the first five, six years, Seattle really benefited from that. But two positions that he over-recruited at were running back and uh, pass rusher. I remember one year he had something like 10 first-team all-state running backs on the roster at the same time at USC. He put a ton of edge rushers into the NFL. And, and the theory behind it, granted, you can carry twice as many guys on a collegiate roster, but the theory behind that is these are positions that require short bursts of energy and explosiveness. You're, you're not running for a long time on most plays with these two positions. And so the ability to just cycle in high-level talent after high-level talent and always have fresh legs at the edge of the defense and in the backfield really, really wore collegiate teams down. And... We saw it during the height of the Seahawks defense. I mean, they had a one-man wrecking crew with Marshawn Lynch. They didn't need to sub him out. But for all the love that Cliff Averill and Michael Bennett deservedly got during that era, they were using a lot of other guys in there to keep those two fresh. And I think that's what Pete is trying to build again right now. Yeah, I agree. And I think there's room for one more. You know, I think there's room for another guy and you know, I can't help but kind of look at some of these guys that give me the draft next year and you think, hey, do you know what? If, a, if Russell just happened to get another finger injury, 
You know, maybe maybe you'd be in range to get a quarterback <laughs> and a pass rusher next year. You know, who knows? I mean, this is the thing. Hey, hey, it it legit it legit could happen. I mean, and and they'll have the firepower to move up for a guy if they if they want to. Is there anybody without waiting for the draft next year? Is there anyone still out there that you think Seattle could or should go after at a reasonable price? Maybe Jadavian Clowney? Not not a pass rusher. I mean, I, I don't think there's anybody. I, I've kind of seen the names. I don't think Clown is realistic. I think I want to see the guys that they've got. I, I want to see what they can do. You know, I'm quite happy to see Uchenna and Wosu and Alton Robinson rotate in with the guys that they have. So I'm not interested in a guy there. There is one. I mean, I wouldn't be completely against them seeing if they could bring Quan Alexander in as a 27-year-old training camp competition. You know, to see if he can work with Cody Barton and see if he can get himself in. Sure, tracks. absolutely. I mean, he's he's without a team. He he's obviously had his injury issues, but with two year, two or three years removed from him, signing a mega contract in San Francisco, um, what is there to lose at this point? And they do have a little bit of cap space to play with. So, given they didn't draft a linebacker, given they've not really done anything in that position, I would be that would be my. That's why I kind of throw my chips at Quan Alexander. I'm into it, man. I I think that this season is perfect for doing the roster churn that we saw Carolyn Schneider do so much in 2010, 2011. I think they set NFL records for roster moves in each of their first two years. They were just grinding through guys. All right, you're here with us for the next week or two. Show us what you got. Okay, we got another chance to bring in somebody else and and see what they got. And and it was that true baseline competition model that we saw the cream rise out of and and i think seattle has given themselves an opportunity to do that again this year it's going to be really really exciting to watch that kind of start to coagulate to to get to the real meaningful parts of the offseason with otas and and training camp and and the preseason and really let competition sort this stuff out in that way you were right at the top of the show, Rob. It's the most exciting offseason in probably a decade. Yeah. Uh, you know, the only disappointing thing for me is, is kind of, I, I really want it to happen. Usually, uh, you know, in the, in the even number of years, you have a big soccer tournament during the summer to kind of take your mind off it so that you can sort of not wish your life away. But they moved the World Cup to December this year. So I haven't even got that to distract me. So I'm already kind of thinking, God, come on. Bring on August. Let's get there. You know, it's three months away. You know, it's, <laughs> man, you know, I, I don't, I do not, I'm at the age now where I should not be wishing my life away. I should be sort of, those say, slow down. You know, August will come along soon enough, but I'm, I'm ready for it. You know, I want to see camp. I want to see what this team's going to look like and what it's going to do. And if, and if, look, if it was a four win team this year, I don't care. You know, I, I think that this is an exciting, I'm with you there. You know, just, just whatever it is, whatever, it, whatever it will be, will be with, with the Silks in 2022. They have an off-season next year where they're going to have a whole bunch of draft stock, a whole bunch of free agent money to spend, and they can take a big step forward. And listen, I'm watching, I've already watched five games of, of Tyler Van Dyke, and I've pretty much watched all the Will Levis's games last year. Some exciting quarterbacks in this draft next year. And um, if you can be patient for 12 months, then um, you will be rewarded, Seahawks fans. Well. There you have it. I mean, I, I think that if we can all approach this season caring a little bit less about the wins and the losses and a little bit more about the process and 
what it's going to mean for 2023 moving forward. This this has the opportunity to actually be a very satisfying season, even if they do only win four games. Although I I, I think Carol and Co will have them coached up enough to to get us at least six. But we'll we'll see. Either way, very very exciting view moving forward for Seattle, which. I don't necessarily think was the case if you had told me back in early March that they were going to trade Russell Wilson. And uh, and I think they've done a really nice job positioning themselves since making the biggest move in franchise history. But I know that it is balls o'clock over in the UK. So we are going to let you get some much-deserved sleep. Thank you so much for coming on with us, man. Yeah, can I just say one last thing? Of course. This is a great year to make Lumen Field as loud as it used to be. If you are going to go to any of these games this year, let's get that noise going again now. You know, it feels like it's a fresh start for everybody. And that stadium has not been what it, what it was. I remember the first time I went there and being blown away by the noise and then going there in the late sort of teens and thinking this is not the same. And by all accounts, it, it, it's, not, it's not improved since then. So look, get it, if you can do a game next year, especially that first game of the year, against Denver at Monday Night Football. What a game that's going to be. See oh, if we can get my the, goodness. See if we can get those oh, noise levels up again. You know, you don't any of these other teams absolutely. being louder than Seattle now. So, come on, let's get it back there this season. No, absolutely right. That that has been kind of an overlooked subject over the last couple of years. But as, as someone who tries to make sure they get to at least one game each year, there's, there's no question. There's been a difference in the fervor and intensity recently uh, from what we saw at the beginning of the Carol Schneider era. So that is advice that is falling on welcome ears for sure. Before we let you get out of here, tell the folks at home where they can get more of you. Seahawkstrapblog.com. You know, I'm, I'm having a little vacate, family vacation now, but then um, big plans. You know, some interesting things coming up over the summer. Big plans for next next year's college season. You know, as soon as it kicks off, we will have a thorough breakdown of all the quarterbacks and we will be hopefully attending some games next year and, and going out and seeing some of these quarterbacks in person. So uh, stick in for that. On YouTube, if you if you just search for Rob Staten, you'll you'll find my channel there. A lot of stuff on there, and there's the Rebuild podcast, which is available on uh, Spotify and Apple and everywhere else as well. So um, if people could check that out, it'd be much appreciated. And make sure he is in your feed on Twitter at Rob Staten. That's R O B S T A T O N. I promise you, you will be better off for it as both a Seahawks fan and a football fan. All right. We got to wrap this up. Another huge thanks to Rob for joining us and to you out there listening. If you're checking us out for the first time, make sure you're subscribed to this podcast so you don't miss an episode. Make sure that you're getting the rest of these positional breakdowns as we work through the summer. And feel free to give us a follow on social media as well. You can find me on Twitter at at Jackson Bevins. That's J-A-C-S-O-N. Mike is at at Mike Barwin. And the show itself is at Cigar Thoughts. You can also find us on Instagram at at Cigar Thoughts NFL and on Facebook at Seahawks Cigar Thoughts. Of course, you can listen to this show and read every article at fieldgoals.com slash Cigar Thoughts. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts and you like the show, Drop us a five-star rating and leave a quick review. We remain incredibly grateful for your support as the show continues to grow. Uh, Mike and I were just texting the other day. We, we just can't believe what the response has been uh, through these first few months. And, and we know that it's only going to get better. And, and your guys' support is really allowing us to do that. So thank you for tuning in. Thank you for the reviews. Thank you for sharing on social media. We appreciate it so much. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, 
onwards and upwards, my friends. 